Okay, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 today. The title of the message is Reminded and Stirred Up. Reminded and Stirred Up. If I asked you, beloved, to repeat last week's sermon without any review, how much of it do you think you could repeat? On the spot. Anyone who's ever been a teacher, I know we have a, Rachel's a school teacher, we've had others who have been school teachers, they understand the value of reminders, right? You have to remind your students of things, maybe having, I, I can remember being in school having reviews of what you've looked at before a test, right? Because why do we need these things? Because most people, I will say most, there are some who have a, uh, maybe some kind of photographic memory that I'd like to have at times. Uh, But most people are forgetful just on information. We just forget. We need to be reminded of things multiple times. In John MacArthur's commentary, he stated that some research he had done shows that within an hour after hearing a message, most people forget up to 90% of what they heard. I think that's true for a lot of people, guys, so don't feel bad. Because I don't think I could uh, recall... Everything that I preached just a week ago without looking over my notes and being reminded. So this is the reality uh, and and the reason that we see, and maybe you didn't realize this, the reason that you see so many references about reminders in the Bible, including Peter twice, even in our text today in verses 12 and 13 that we'll read here in a minute, we see, we see the, word of, the word of reminder or, or a reminder here in these two texts. Here's a few others in the Bible, guys. And these are just a few. Of, the, of, this, of this subject of, of needing to be reminded. Paul, here's, a, here's uh, three of them from Paul. Romans 15, verse 15, where we're either going to see the, the, the word reminder or the, or the idea of needing to be reminded. Paul says in Romans 15, verse 15, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. In Philippians 3, verse 1, he writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me and it is a safeguard for you. See, he was reminding these people of the same thing. And, and there, but there's a, there's a profit to it. It's a, it's a safeguard for you. 2 Timothy 1.6 For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then we see the Apostle John. Really with the same idea in 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. I have not written to you Because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lies of the truth. So these very truths that he was writing, he said, you guys already know these things. And then Jude, in in verse 5, Jude says the same thing. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So, beloved, the reality is, 
is that the Lord who knows all things, who knows you and I intimately, obviously has revealed in His Word that we need reminders. Amen? We need reminders. I know I do. And so with that being said, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a few different things of this whole idea of needing to be reminded, okay? Of the importance of, of, of being reminded from God's Word. And we're going to look at three things on the back of your bulletin, the outline. Very, very simple today. Very simple, three points. And the first thing we're going to look at in verse 12 is the need to be reminded. The need to be reminded. Verse 12, let me read the text. Verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So the need to be reminded in verse 12. That's what we see first of all. The need to be reminded. He says, therefore. Anytime we see the word therefore, it's always a, uh, just really a, a built-in way to do a little review, right? Because he's talking about what he had previously mentioned. Therefore, he says these things. Therefore, I, always, I will always be ready to remind you. Therefore, what? What he's already said in verses 1 through 11. What have we looked at in verses 1 through 11? Therefore, because of these things, when we think of verses 1 through 4, we think of the, the greatness of our salvation. Remember what we talked about? Really, verses 1 through 4 was just a summation of the grace of God. We see in verse, in verse 1, we talked about that, that the very faith that we have to believe on Jesus Christ, to commit our lives to Christ, was a gift from God given to us. Remember, by divine lot. By divine lot. By the, by the divine will of God. We were given this very faith to believe. And even that was a reminder when we were reading that, right? We're reminded that salvation is of the Lord. From eternity past to the time we're glorified, it's of the Lord. The fact that our faith was given to us, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Uh, we, we talked about in verse, in verse 3, the, the, the divine call, when God called us to Himself. So in verses 1-4 through four was just a, a picture of the, the grace of God. God saved us by His grace. Through faith. And even that is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And then, and then the text we looked at last week, verses 5-11, through 11, really the, the blessedness of our assurance. The blessedness of our assurance. So, so, so how God saved us in verses 1-4, through 4, and then really the blessedness of our assurance in verses 5-11. through 11. You remember we talked about all these graces that Peter described in verses 5, 6, and 7. These graces, these qualities, these fruits of the Spirit that are going to be present in a believer's life to some degree. And just the reality that, that we know that if these things are present and are increasing, that it, that it said it, it renders our, our, our true knowledge, in other words, the saving knowledge of Christ, 
Our profession of faith is fruitful. It's fruitful. It's demonstrated to be fruitful. It's demonstrated to be real when we have these graces in our life. So that's, that's these things he's talking about in verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. To remind you of these things. Have you ever noticed, guys, that we talk about a lot of the same things over and over and over? There's a reason. I, I realize, guys, that you guys know a lot of these things. Okay? We're all, I think, those present here today, we're very like-minded, theologically. So anytime you hear me saying these things, of course, we're going through the text. It's for this reason, because I know you and I need to be reminded. One of my primary jobs as a pastor, as an elder, as a teacher, it's not only it's not just to teach, obviously that's what's entailed in it, but it's also constantly to remind you of what the Word of God says. That's the way God has set His church up. That's why He's given us all of these means of grace. And and He's given us these commands of not to forsake the assembling because we need these things. We need the truth of the Word of God. Because what happens? The busyness of life. The events that happen in your life. Just the busyness of life. Throw on top of that temptations. Throw trials. And it's easy even for the most mature believer to forget these things. It really is. And maybe you don't forget the meanings of these things, but you forget the reality of these things and how important they are to your Christian life. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. He says, if ministers be negligent in their work, it can hardly be expected that the people will be diligent in theirs. So if if I'm not doing my job, okay, I'm going to repeat what Brother Jeff Rose said, I think Shiloh was at the conference, and I've heard him say this before, sloppy sermons produce sloppy Christians. And that's the reality of it. And so it's my job to teach the Word of God, and what accompanies that many times is reminding you, reminding myself of these glorious Gospel truths. Okay, Don't ever get bored with the Gospel. Don't ever get bored with the Gospel. If you begin to get bored with the Gospel, guys, you need to be stirred up. (laughs) Because the Gospel, like Paul Washer says, the doctrine of election is not the deepest doctrine in the Bible. The Gospel is. When we think about what took place. You know that man's been studying the Gospel for the last 20 to 30 years? That's what he does. It's just study the depths of the Gospel. And and that comes out in his ministry. He... he, uh, that's, that's just what he that's what God called him to do. It's just the gospel of Jesus Christ to study these things and, and remind people of these truths, these fundamental gospel truths. Uh, you know, a pastor, a pastor doesn't not need to try to be clever. Okay? My job is not to sit up here and try to be cute, to try to be clever, to try to maybe to try to be cool, to try to teach you something. That maybe I think, man, you've never heard this. You've never heard it taught in a way like this. So I'm going to show you how smart I am today. That's not my job. My job is to teach you, to teach God's people, any pastor's job, I'm just using myself as an example, to teach you what the Word of God says, how to apply it to your life, and then remind you of these things over and over again. 
Have you heard, have you heard the saying, if it's new, it's not true? Okay? If you hear me say something, please rebuke me. Hey guys, I'm going to teach you something today I think you've never heard. You might want to raise up your ears, your antennas. If you ever, ever hear anybody say something like that. No, that's what makes like confessions of faith, church history. That's what, why it's so important to study these things because it's, we, 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 see a, we can see through the history of the church these foundational truths that we're not teaching anything new. Okay? These truths that we're teaching have been taught for 2,000 years of church history. And so, we need to be reminded of these things. And, it, and he says in verse 12, he says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. Peter was aware that they already knew them. Have you ever said this in your mind, guys? Man, I... Maybe, maybe you'll be talking... And this could, this could apply to any area of life. Oh, I, I, I know that I, I know that I know that, but I can't remember. I, I just can't remember exactly what it what it was. I, I you know, you're, you're familiar with something, but you don't know it thoroughly. What do you need? You need a reminder. So that's that's what we need. I'm always doing that. Oh man, I man, I know what you're talking about. I know that truth. And somebody reminds you, and so we're reminded time and time again. And what do we do? We grow deeper. And eventually these things become permanently attached in our minds so that we can recall them. We can recall the truths. We can apply them. So these believers had obviously been taught well because they knew these things. And they didn't have mere head knowledge, okay? That's not what he's meaning by this. Because he says this, I, always, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. Now this is not head knowledge, but they were established in the truth which was present within them. That means they were strong in these truths. They were strong in these truths. These truths were down in them. The powerful, in other words, the powerful transforming truth of the Gospel was a reality in their lives. Okay? That's what, that's what this language is referring to. But guess what? Peter, even though he says that, I know that you uh, already know them. We know in verse 21 that, that, that the writers of the Bible, Peter being one of them, was moved by the Holy Spirit and so Peter, being moved by the Holy Spirit, even though he knew they were established in the truth, wrote down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote that they still needed to be reminded of these things. This is how important this is, guys. Why do we need to be reminded of these things? Why would these believers, in the context of this letter, need to be reminded of these things? Because... This is what prevents believers from being tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. And what was Peter, what is Peter going to say in chapter 2, verse 1? False prophets also arose among you. He is trying to establish these believers in the truth because he knows the reality of false teachers. And you can be a genuine believer in Christ. 
You can even be fairly familiar with the truth and still get tossed to and fro by false teachers, beloved, because they are very clever and they can get a believer very confused. And so Peter has this in mind. That they need to be even further established in the truth. They need to be reminded of these things. And so, beloved, so much of what we preach and teach in this church, okay, is just this, just like I said a few minutes ago. Reminders, right? I think of verse 1 and verse at the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, we talked about for a whole sermon about how our faith is a gift of God. Most of you guys were already aware of that. But it's good to be reminded. Why? Because when you're going verse by verse, it's in the text. I think you guys are all rather familiar with the fact that God calls His elect to Himself out of darkness into light. But we spend an entire Sunday talking about that because it's in the text. So the way God has laid His Word out, He must know that we need reminders because these truths are over and over again. When you, go, when you read through the Bible, guys, God's Word teaches us a lot of the same truths from different authors, right? You know if you read Paul, you're going to be reading the same thing about God's call, about God's gift of faith, and these type of things. These truths come from... Uh, these, the, the same truths come from different authors, different contexts, and from different angles. But the same eternal truths. Okay? It doesn't change the truth. So again, if you think I'm reminding you, beloved, don't think it's because I don't think you know. Just like Peter, this was not in any way an insult to these believers. Just because, no, it's, it's just he's doing his role as a shepherd. Okay? So first of all, what we saw first of all is hopefully that you can see our, just our need to be reminded. It's in God's Word. Just the mere fact that it's in God's Word multiple times is enough to where we must realize, yeah, you and I, we need to be reminded. Secondly, in verse 13 and 14, the goal, we're going to look at the goal first of all, and urgency of reminders. The goal, so there's a point to it, and urgency of reminders. In verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. I, he says, I consider it right. What is he saying? Hey, it's the right thing to do. I'm reminding you because it's the right thing to do. It's his responsibility as an apostle. And also, we know in 1 Peter, he identified himself also as an elder. So it's his responsibility as a leader to remind you. It's the right thing to do. I don't care what your opinion is. It's the right thing to do. Luke 22, a little bit of reminders, again, a little bit of reminders uh, of what Peter may be referring to, of, or, or just the idea of, of, um, of being his responsibility. If you guys remember, right before, you don't have to turn there, in Luke 22, right before Peter denied Christ three times, Jesus was basically telling him that he was going to do it. And he said this, He's basically telling him what's going to happen. Satan's going to sift you. But he says this, once you, once you have turned again, in other, in other, once you're restored, once you repent, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's what Jesus told Peter. You guys remember that. Strengthen your brothers. And then after His resurrection, Christ in His resurrected body, if you remember His conversation with, with Peter in John 21, remember where, remember where He kept telling Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
Peter is saying, Lord, you know I love you. And he said three or four times, then shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. So, so Peter understands his responsibility to feed the sheep. It's the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do for a pastor to remind his people of the truth. I have not been called to entertain, but to remind you of the truth, to teach you the truth. Sheep need constant shepherding. That's what it's saying here. That's what this text is telling us. Sheep need constant shepherding. I think I'm going to, I'm in agreement with, with John MacArthur and with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this point here that I think <clears throat> that, when, that when the Bible is being exposited verse by verse, when you're going through the text verse by verse, so you're not skipping over anything, and the, and the, and the text is being explained, and through, the, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, applications being made, and the, and the person sitting and listening is engaged, then I think much biblical counseling comes from the pulpit. Their points are this. Not that there's not a place for biblical counseling, because there is. I'm talking about one-on-one counseling. There is a place for that, obviously. But their point is there's probably too much of that going on because preaching is too, there's too little biblical preaching going on. Because if you're going through the Bible, these this, this, it is biblical counseling when you're going verse by verse by verse. And so that what I bring that up because that is what shepherding is. There's many roles for the pastor to, on how they shepherd God's people, but primarily it is feeding them the Word of God. Okay? And so that's what all this language is. Reminding, uh, reminding the people of these things. And, and if you guys remember, I think it was in our second uh, Healthy Church member deal that we've been going through in Equipping Hour several weeks ago, was it was uh, being, being uh, people of the Word and, and, and being not just under expositional preaching, but being an expositional listener. You guys remember that? That's what this is. When, the, when you're engaged, not just present, okay? But when you're engaged in the Word of God and you're listening, you're receiving counsel from the Word of God itself through the, through the, the great counsel of the Holy Spirit. And so sitting, what, what does it mean to be an expositional listener? Sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, wanting to know what the text means and listening for what His Word is saying, and then adjusting your life, right? It's not just being present. Yeah, I went to church. No, it's being engaged with the Word of God and applying it to your life. This is what shepherding is. It's using the Word of God. This is the food, in other words. This is the food. And he says this, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. What, what, is this, what is this earthly dwelling? If you remember the text I just read in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5, Paul mentioned, uh, he mentioned the word tent. And that's all it is. This earthly dwelling, this tent, this temporary place of residence for our souls, this body. It's temporary. It's called an earthly dwelling, a tent. 
This is what he's saying. As long as God gives me breath, in verse 13, as long as God gives me breath, it's my job, okay? Peter's saying that, and, and I'm saying that. Any pastor would say that. As long as God gives me breath, it's my job. It's the right thing. It's what I'm going to give an account for. It's my duty. And I would say it's my privilege to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up. And that's really the second point, the goal and urgency of reminders. What is this goal? This goal is so Peter says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, as long as I'm alive, this is the goal. To stir you up. To stir you up by way of reminder. That phrase means to wake up. Did you know that we can become spiritually sleepy (laughs) really easy? I hate it when that happens to me, but it happens. It can be for a short period of time. It can be for a long period of time. But that's what the text is saying. There's a point to this. There's a goal for these reminders. And it's to stir you up, to wake up, to excite to arouse, to provoke. Now how are you truly going to get stirred up, church? Is it, through, is it just through hearing your favorite worship song and you get emotional? I mean, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's not what this means. Of just getting stirred up and getting goosebumps. No. Is it from some new teaching? Absolutely not. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 real quickly, guys. It's not an exact parallel, but it's really close. It's enough to make some... um, to see a picture of this. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. These were the letters written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And the church at Ephesus... The Lord says this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. He said this to the the church at Ephesus I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. So so he's saying some very positive things. But then he says this, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, here's our word, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm going to come to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He's saying remember from where you have fallen, okay? How can we apply that to what we're talking about now? Beloved, we can all grow cold, okay? This text wouldn't be here in in 2 Peter if if it wasn't from the reality that you and I can grow cold in our Christian faith. That we need to be stirred up. There's times we need to remember... How did it say that again in Revelation? Remember from, from where you have fallen... I have this against you that you have left your first love. 
Think about the... Think about... It could have been early on in your Christian life or it could have been just in a different season in your life. When you could use the the phrase, uh, for lack of a better phrase, maybe you were more on fire for the Lord than you are now. Or maybe it doesn't apply to you now, but at a given point in time in your life. And he says, remember the deeds that you did. Remember what it was like, beloved, when the, when the truths of the Gospel, hopefully that's now in your life, but when the, when the truths of the Gospel are in your minds and you, and you remember what Christ saved you from. These are the things, being reminded of these glorious truths of the Gospel is what will stir us up, is what will produce deeds in our life. When we're being stirred up by the truths of the Gospel. What are the truths of the Gospel? The truths of the Gospel, to understand the truths of the Gospel, we understand the truths of who we are. That we were spiritually dead. When we think about what God saved us from, that we that He saved us from hell, these things are what stir us up. Studying doctrine and studying truth in this context is not to get a big swelled up head. No, it's to remember who God is. We talk about reminding ourselves of the Gospel, right? Preaching the Gospel to ourselves. It's for this very reason. To stir you up. To stir you up. Do you realize? Do you remember what God saved you from? Or has it become old news? See, but when you hear the Gospel preached, when you hear the God, when you sit under the preaching of the Gospel, it should remind you of who you once were and where you were headed and who you are now and that you're a brand new creation and that God has displayed His mercy and grace in your life. These are what motivate a believer not to get them just with goosebumps, but to remind a believer what is my purpose in life? Why is it that I want to love my enemies? Because I want them to know this Christ that I know. And I know what's going to happen to them if they die without Him because He's holy. Again, being reminded of who He is. The great doctrines his, his attributes, the work on the cross, all of these things, the grace of God, that if God had not chosen you and, and, and pursued you, like the song said, um, I can't remember what song I'm thinking of, but my hellbound race, that the song sings, we, we were all on a hellbound race. And I know it does me good, it does me good whether I'm hearing the gospel preach, whether I'm hearing the word of God preach, or whether I'm reading it for myself, or hearing just having fellowship with other believers and we're talking about these things, to, to I can be living a very self-centered life, having a day, you know, one of those days, and I'm just in my own little self-centered bubble, and I'm reminded my, by my brothers and sisters of how glorious God is. I hope I'm making sense. And so we remember these, these truths of the Gospel, beloved, these great doctrines. And then when we, and then when we, we remember these great doctrines and the work of Christ, then, then we can remember the commands of Scripture and be eager to obey them because of what God has done for us. Okay? It, Hebrews 10, 20, 23 and 24. You don't have to turn there. Let us consider how to stimulate one another 
That, that word is very, very similar to stir up. It means to provoke. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's what this stirring up is. That's what He was telling them in Revelation. Remember the good deeds you did because you were stirred up. He says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, God does not want us to meet. He does not put this Scripture in the Bible so that we can legalistically say, well, I went to church this week. So God's happy with me. There's a point to it. And it's to stir one another up. It's to stimulate one another. It's to encourage one another. So when I say these kind of things that I'm about to say, don't ever take it the wrong way. I'm never saying these things to heap condemnation on anybody. But I'm just applying it to what the Word of God says. When I think of, when I think of meeting on Sundays, when I think of meeting on Wednesdays, or whenever we decide to meet. It was just a perfect example this past Wednesday. I mean, if, hey, I'll confess to you right here, guys. I didn't want to come Wednesday. I'm like, ah, I just had one of them days. And, uh, my flesh, it was just... That, that's how I came. Now, I'm not saying I thought about not coming. I'm just trying to be honest with you. But by the time we left, I was so encouraged. Why? We didn't, we didn't like, we didn't have a bunch of fancy lights and music. We just met a few of us and looked at the scriptures, was reminded of God's. In this case, we were studying his attribute of he's our creator. But just hearing my brothers and sisters talk about the text and 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 just the word of God and the impact it has on their life and their love for God as our creator. And we just talk about it together and we, and we sing a few songs together and, we, and then we pray for one another. I was stirred up. I was encouraged. And it happens regularly, guys. I say that because that's what it's saying in this text and in Hebrews 10. It's not so we can be, you know, uh, appease our guilty conscience because we didn't go to church last week. No, it's... To be stirred up, to be encouraged. What does it say? As you see the day drawing near. Guys, in case you hadn't thought about it, we're drawing near and near every day. Either to you and I's death or the coming of Christ. I mean, both of them. The day is drawing near and He wants us. We need each other. Okay? So He says in verse 14, so, so we see the goal. The goal of these reminders is to stir one another up. And it's not just from the pulpit. That's the, that's the big context of it, but that's not all of it. We stir each other up. We encourage one another. That's the way God has designed His church. So verse 14, we see the, the urgency of it. The urgency of reminders. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. And also our Lord Jesus Christ, or as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. It's imminent. Peter knew that he didn't have much time left. That's what he's saying. He's, you, know, you know why he could know that? Because at this time in his life, he's getting old, first of all. Peter is, a, is at least in his 60s. I think MacArthur said he thought he was in his 70s. But he's at least in his 60s. The average age at that time was about 40 or less. Okay, So Peter's getting old. 
And he knew that the laying aside of this earthly dwelling was imminent. The word imminent, imminent, it can mean swift or soon, okay? And, and, and this word, this, in this context here, it's meaning both. That it's soon, but it's also going to be swift. Now, how did he, first of all, how did he know that it was going to be soon? Well, again, he's getting old, okay? When you get old, <laughs> you can know that it's going to happen <laughs> sooner rather than later. So he, first of all, he knows it's going to be fairly soon just because of his age. But how did he know it would be a swift death? Jesus could have given him revelation that we don't know about. But I think more than likely, if you'll turn to John chapter 21, we know exactly what he is referring to. Turn to John chapter 21. And we'll look at two verses real quickly that will give this some context. 21 verses 18 through 19. This is right after he had told Peter to feed my sheep, tend my sheep. The very next verse, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, which is, that's, he's old now, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. He was speaking about the way Peter was going to die. Crucifixion. He was telling him how he was going to die. Early tradition... Uh, recorded by Eusebius, who was a Greek historian in the 4th century, attests that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. Why was he crucified upside down? Because Peter felt like he was unworthy to die like his Lord. And then Clement Clement of Alexandria, uh, through some stuff he wrote, tells us that Peter's wife was executed before he was. So this is what Peter is referring to here in Peter. He knows that his life or his death is imminent. It's soon, and when it happens, it's going to be swift. So being old, again, remember remember the introduction to the letter. This was probably written from a Roman prison. That's where Peter probably wrote this. So you take all this into account. He can see the writing on the wall. You know, Peter lived with that for several years, knowing how he was going to die. So he probably died in 67 A.D. This letter was written 64 to 67 A.D. Nero had him crucified. He was crucified under Nero's rule, and Nero committed suicide in 68 A.D. So probably 67 A.D. was when he was crucified. So again, Peter would have been thinking about the words of Christ and his death all these years. You know it would have been on his mind. You know, not everyone gets to know the manner of how they're going to die that far in advance. And so, but he was, no doubt, he would have been, he would have been contemplating the reality of it. And did you know that's a healthy thing to do, guys? It's, it's, a, it's a healthy thing to do to con- contemplate the reality of your death. And, that, and that's for a believer or an unbeliever. It's a healthy thing to do. 
As an unbeliever, you need to contemplate the reality of your death. Because after death comes judgment. And this life is like a vapor. You know, we remind unbelievers of that when we preach the gospel. And they do need to be reminded that this life is a, it's, like a, it's like a blip like that. And then it's over. It's, it's death and then judgment. And they're going to stand before a holy God. And so they need to think about this. The, the Scripture says not to boast about tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. And so the unbeliever needs to realize that time is running out. Time is short. And the, and the time to get right with God is, the Bible says, always it's now, it's today. To get right with God. To repent. To believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To bow the knee to the risen Lord Jesus Christ and receive mercy. But even for us guys, as believers, as a Christian, you should remind yourself regularly of how short your life is. You should do that. We should do that. And in the context of thinking about the work that God has called you to do, wherever He has you, However it is, and whoever it is you can minister to, you need to think about these things. I need to think about these things. You know, a man on his deathbed, which you could, in a sense, say Peter was on his deathbed. He, he was older. He knew his... his uh, obviously, he was old. He was in a Roman prison under Nero. He's thinking, okay, he said, I'm going to die by crucifixion. I'm in a prison. It's probably coming soon. But a, but a man on his deathbed, beloved, can have a powerful impact on the lives around him if he's given a chance to, to say some last words. Have you guys ever experienced something like that, maybe? With, with somebody you respected? Maybe a friend or maybe somebody in your family who you got to hear them give some wisdom in their dying days. It can be very powerful. Listen to what John Calvin says. For when anyone, shortly before he quits this life, addresses us, his words have in a manner the force and power of a testament or will and are usually received by us with great reverence. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I can think of a time just a year ago, literally almost exactly where I experienced this. So some of you guys will remember this. I, I can remember hearing, in my 25 years of walking with Christ, I can remember hearing many sermons on the topic of love, right? The, that we're to love one another. That that's the greatest quality there is as a believer. That they'll know you by your love. So, I, so I've heard many, many sermons on that. I've even preached some. But I think one that sticks out more than any, and it wasn't a sermon, it was a few words by my very good friend Jeremy, who was dying almost a year ago. For those of you who don't know who Jeremy Roten was, he was the one who helped Jeff Rose start 116 Fellowship in, in, uh, down in Fort Worth. The very first 116 the church we planted off of. Jeremy was the other elder that helped Jeff. And, and I became good friends with Jeremy. And, and Jeremy, before I, before I tell you what he said, you've got to understand, Jeremy was a bulldog. Jeremy was not mushy-gushy. <laughs> he wasn't a really 
Um, you know, Jeremy was all about defending the truth. A very loving brother. But Jeremy was known... I don't, I don't, I don't think of Jeremy as being the most... He was a very relational guy. But his strength was his stand on the truth. But his message, I drove down there, I think it was a week ago this week. Last, or a year ago, this week, I drove down to see him in his last few days. He was in hospice and just very, very weak, very frail, jaundiced. This was like two or three days before he died. And I drove down to, to minister to him, to be there for him. And Jeff was there, and we were sitting by his bed and just talking and talking about memories. And, and he, did, he did let me read his favorite proverb to him. But it was what Jeremy said to Jeff and I that was really the, the, the highlight of the time in the room. And Because again, Jeremy knows his time is imminent. And, and what was Jeremy's message to, to Jeff and I? Multiple times is, don't forget love. He kept saying that. Love. Everything is about love. If I, get, if I had to do over again. Now he's not talking about some just some emotional thing. He's talking about don't forget to love those around you. Regardless of who it is. Your brothers and sisters, don't forget to show them love. To love them. To serve them. Don't forget to love the lost. Don't forget to let your family know. I mean, this is a man who's been faithful to the Lord. And I don't know if it was a, a, a regret or just a, man, I, just, I wish I would have loved more. And that, that was, and it, it made an impact on me, and it stirred me up. Jeff and I both sat there under conviction and encouraged at the same time, hearing this man that we had so much respect for with this simple message. Brothers, it's all about love. Again, this was a man who could defend the truth. Amen, Justin? Amen. He, Justin knew him. Justin would go over there and they talk. What, hey, come over, let's talk doctrine. Let's talk theology. But he loved the truth. It wasn't just up here. And this was a man, that's what I remember about him, was a man who would defend the truth of the Gospel. But when it all came down to it, he said, man, just like the Scripture says, right? The Apostle Paul, there's no greater defender of the truth. But he said, without love, it's nothing. So, so Jeremy wasn't letting go of the truth, but he's like, brothers, if, if you don't have love, all that's worthless. And it made a great impact on me. And so we see the, the urgency of it. The, and, and lastly, we see in verse 15, the scope of these reminders. The scope of these reminders. And I, will, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Okay? He basically repeats verse 12, but he stresses here the word diligence. Remember we talked about diligence a few times Last week, applying all diligence, making every effort, an urgent effort. He said, I'm going to make every effort while I'm alive, okay? While I'm alive, that after I die, you'll be able to call these things to mind. You hear what he's saying? I'm going to make every effort. I'm going to, I'm going to be diligent. In other words, while I'm still alive, to make sure that after my departure, you're going to be able to call these things to mind. That's what he's saying. So in light, in light of what Christ had told him, 
Peter is anxious to be diligent in strengthening the believers even after his death. How's he going to do that, beloved? By the very things he's writing, by the written word. What are, in verse 15, he says, I will also be diligent at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. I don't think he's just simply referring to verses 1 through 11 here. I think he's talking about this entire letter. And even first, and even the letter of First Peter, because it's the same people he's writing to. These very, this very thing that I'm writing, I want it to go on, to for you to be reminded of these truths by what I'm writing you. He says, "I'll also be diligent that at any time after my departure, his exodus is what that means, his exodus or his journey to another world." When I die, and beloved, you know that's what death is, right? Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, death is just a, a journey to another world. As an unbeliever, it's a journey to torment. But as a believer, listen to what John Bunyan says, death is but a portal out of a prison into a palace. That's what death is. So as a believer, look forward to it in a healthy way. So this truth, beloved, this truth isn't just for the preacher, okay? So listen what listen what he's saying. Now we can make some maybe some application. Peter's saying these very things I'm writing, I want you to be able to call all of these things to mind even after I'm gone through what I leave you with the written word of God. And so this these truths that we're talking about, guys, isn't just for the preacher, isn't just for the pastor. Again, you guys do that for me. We do it for each other. I'm encouraged by you guys. I'm stirred up by you guys. I'm stimulated by you guys. When we talk about, when I hear about how God's working in your life, when we discuss God's Word and your love for God's Word and how you understand God's Word, it's iron sharpening iron. And so the question is, is beloved, what can you do, what can you do in response to what you've heard? today in this text. First of all, what can you do for your own soul? Okay? What can you do for your own soul? The first thing I would exhort you to is you can be here when the Word of God is preached and taught. That will will benefit your soul. Because you're going to be reminded of these things when we meet. And I say be here when you're able. I understand the, I understand the different things that are going on in people's lives. That's why I say don't ever take these things the wrong way. I just have to be faithful to what the text is telling us. We need to try to be here when we're able because I know you guys need to be reminded to be stirred up. So we stimulate, we encourage one another. So that's one way, that's one way you can apply these truths. What kind of legacy can you pass on to others after your departure? That's what Peter's talking about in this last verse. What kind of legacy can you pass on to others after your departure? Obviously, a godly life is a legacy, right? When your loved ones sit around and talk about your life 
It's going to be a legacy of some sort, is it not? So we want to leave a, a godly legacy. But, but in application to verse 15, what's something that you could leave? What's something that you could leave so, so that the people that you love, maybe the people that you know, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, grandchildren, friends, church, whoever it is, maybe it could be something in writing. Like similar to what Peter's talking about. Obviously, you're not an apostle. You're not writing an inspired, inspired Word of God. But it could be something in writing. Maybe a letter to a loved one. Do we understand the, the, the power that, that still a written letter has? A written letter that somebody has. It's, not, it's different than just a phone call because they have it. They can look at it. They can be reminded. Maybe a gospel presentation to somebody who's not a believer in your family. I've sent out many of those in the past. A letter to a loved one. Obviously, to another believer. A letter of encouragement. Something in writing. Maybe great books and, and literature that you have, that you own, can be passed on. I think of all the books in my study. Um, and it's, it, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of this stuff. I'm using it now. But when I think about if something was to happen to me and, and, and people wondered, man, what was he doing all those hours on his days off? He was up there closed off in his study. This is what he was studying. And for it to benefit other people, benefit you guys, benefit, Lord willing, my kids, my grandkids. It's, it's what are we leaving? What are we leaving? Do we just think about money? Because money doesn't compare to some of this, these eternal truths. These things that Peter says that you'll, you'll be able to call these things that I'm telling you that will go on after I die. Because it's not about me. Peter's saying it's not about me. It's about the, the truth. And so, beloved, this applies to all of us. We all have truth to leave those. Maybe a pre-recorded video that you could leave maybe of your testimony of how God has transformed your life and with a gospel presentation. Always have that ready. In case I die, I want my family to see this. Or maybe a gospel tract that you wrote and you had it published. Or you had it... I guess published is the right word. I don't know. Or maybe even a book that God would lead you to write. But in closing, beloved, these are just some ways to get your mind thinking of the truths of this, God, that it's the, it's the truth that's valuable. Okay? You could leave your family a million dollars and it doesn't compare to the truth of the Word of God. That's what they need. Believers and unbelievers. Think of the ones who love the Lord. Leave them just these truths of the Christian life. And for those who don't know Christ, Gospel, Gospel, Gospel. So we need to be reminded of these great truths, beloved. Anytime we can be reminded, we, we have seen from the text that we need to be reminded of these great truths to keep us stirred up. God knows we're weak and we need to be stirred up because we're still in this unredeemed flesh. And we need to be the ones, okay? We need to be reminded and we need to be the ones reminding others both in our life and and after our departure, as we think about, as the Lord 
It's really a neat thing. We know the Lord builds His church, but as the Lord, through His church, builds His church, even after we're gone, He can use us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these truths that we're looking at, Lord. God, we thank You for Your grace. Just Your grace of uh, knowing that we need reminded, Lord, that knowing that we're just we're slow sometimes, God, and we need to be reminded of things multiple times. Even these glorious truths, Father, these truths that stir us up, that stir us, stir our inner man up, God. We, we need these things, Father. We need Your Word. We need Your truth. We need each other to walk this Christian life, God. To, to persevere to the end, God. You've given, you've given us means of grace to help us along the way, Lord. That You do preserve Your people to the very end. But You use these very things we're talking about to do so. And Father, we just thank You for that, Lord. Even that is grace. And we praise You for that, God. We praise You for saving us. We praise You for keeping us. God, we just, I just praise You for this church. praise You for the, the love that my family has experienced in this church, Lord. And I pray that, that we will just continue to stir one another up, Lord, to, to love and to good deeds. And encourage one another, Lord, as we see the day approaching. In Christ's name, Amen.